Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Today, I'm delighted to feature a longtime friend of Book Larder, author Lucas Volger. Lucas first visited the shop just after we opened in 2011, and he actually taught the very first cooking class that we offered. He writes fantastic vegetarian cookbooks, and his latest book, Start Simple, features 11 core ingredients that can be turned into easy, delicious weeknight meals. He visited our kitchen in February 2020, where he was in conversation with local food writer and author Sarah Dickerman. This episode is full of great tips for getting the most out of your ingredients, and Sarah and Lucas even played a round of ingredient bingo with our guests. Here's Lucas Volger and Start Simple. Well, thank you all so much for being here, and thank you for writing this beautiful book. I've just enjoyed it so much since I've gotten it, and it's just got wonderful illustrations, and you are interested in something that I've long been interested in is how we can bring home cooking and good cooking into lives that are imperfect and uh, and busy and too complicated to cook. Yes, <laughs> totally. So explain the principle of your book. So I wrote this book with my brother and my sister-in-law and their two kids, my adorable nieces Zoe and Allie in mind. So both parents work full-time, kids are involved in all these things, they have two insane dogs, um, their life is completely crazy. And I know that they really want to be eating more vegetables, eating a little bit more healthier, more home-cooked meals, but it's always seemed like a really challenging task for them and for their lives. I have become, over the years, in the various types of cooking that I've done, I've become very comfortable as an improvisational cook. So my favorite type of cooking is when I open up the fridge and I can just kind of like work with whatever's there. And I've been trying to figure out a methodology behind that to try to like make new cooks and um, people who aren't super comfortable in the kitchen start to work towards that style of cooking just to see all the possibility in the fridge and the pantry rather than thinking that, oh, because I don't have whatever this recipe is calling for, I can't cook this meal. And so it seemed to me the most practical place to start was at the grocery store. So I started paying attention to what I um, was putting in my shopping basket And it was largely these 11 ingredients that sort of form the basis of Start Simple. There's um, winter squash and hearty greens and cauliflower and tofu and corn tortillas and eggs and zucchini squash. Oh, yeah, sweet potatoes and mushrooms and cabbage. And I was noticing that there's a lot of overlap with other people's baskets. And so it seemed safe to say that this would be a sort of easy starting ground for a lot of people just focusing on these 11 ingredients and then devising really simple recipes with those sort of anchoring each of the recipes. And so um, I guess just to backpedal a little bit, I, I'm always overwhelmed by weeknight cooking cookbooks that have sort of involved meal plans where Sunday night you're doing all this and then Monday night you're making one thing and then part of that's going into Tuesday night and my brain doesn't really think that way and I haven't really been able to commit to that much foresight. (laughs) And it's also a disaster if your teenage, in my case, your teenage son eats two portions of what you're like planning on doing the next day and then the whole, (laughs) the wheels fall off the bus and it's just your meal plan is unplanned. Kaput, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I was trying to really simplify the shopping process. So rather than shopping for recipes, shopping for a meal plan, it's like, just remember to pick up most of these 11 everyday ingredients. And then with olive oil and with a few basic seasonings, a few extra vegetables, you probably have everything you need to make most of the recipes in the book. That's great. So. And, and of course, the recipes in the book are, are vegetarian. What I really like about this book, too, is it's like kind of a, a great center of the plate idea with each recipe, too, oh, that you. seems really, really practical, too. How did you choose your, your cast of characters, the ingredients that you have in here? It was really just the things that I was buying <laughs> when yeah. I would go to the grocery store that it's sort of instinctively grabbing. And then I was peeking into other people's shopping baskets and noticing that they were grabbing them, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I definitely I eat a lot of eggs. I'm one of those people that's like the egg seems to fill out the meal for me. And so I always have those. But like cabbage is one that I love cabbage because you buy one cabbage and you've got cabbage for like a month. <laughs> and um, so I and I and I know a lot of people don't often buy cabbage because either it's it's overwhelms them or they don't know how to cook it. And so I wanted to kind of make a case for cabbage in the book. And cabbage yes. is just like just stop there for a minute because it's just one of my absolute favorite ingredients. I mean, almost every culture has a recipe with cabbage in it, which I love. It's good raw. Yeah. I just made last night a soup that you have in the book that's cabbage and white beans and like almost nothing else. Maybe a little bit of cheese. Yeah, a little. Oh yeah, a little yeah. cheese. That was the, that was the fun part. That was like the bell and whistle. Just a really simple soup, and it's just gentle and wintry and just perfect for last night. So it was oh, really fun. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that one. So my favorite cabbages are like I like Napa and Savoy uh -huh. the best. Just yeah. I think because I like them raw the best. But the green cabbage is the one that would always come to my CSA and like. I got this like 15 pound green cabbage. What am I going to do with it? But in that soup, it like just cooks it with beans and a little bit of vegetable yeah. stock. And then you stir in grated Gruyere or Parmesan cheese at the end. And it's so, it's like literally one of those, some of the parts do not equal the ingredients. Right. It's so right. crazy. Right. But you found that versatility in other ingredients too. Yeah. One I'm interested that you have that I think people feel like is a little more of a special occasion ingredient, but you kind of make the case for it as a weekday, is mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Each of these ingredients have something of like a base recipe where, so for like the winter squash, one thing that I've found to be helpful is to roast off the squash all at once, scoop it out, mash it up a little bit, season it with salt and pepper and some olive oil, and put it in a container. So that's like the base recipe. And then sort of sub-recipes for that are using the squash in like a croque-monsieur type sandwich or in pancakes or in... Um, that's a beautiful frittata, right? Oh, yeah, a frittata. And so you have it sort of... It's like the vegetable is pre-prepared and it can go in all these different directions. And with the mushrooms, what I like to do is just roast them all off on a sheet pan in the oven and similarly pack them up so that then I'm five minutes away from an omelet or I have the really good sandwich with um, with tofu. It's like a maple tofu sandwich as well. I really like roasted mushrooms. I feel mm -hmm. like that's mm -hmm. it concentrates the flavor really well. As long as you don't cram too many of them on the pan, you get a lot of really nice caramelization. Mm -hmm. I season them with a little bit of vinegar at the end, um, but you could take it in a million different directions. Mm -hmm. But I was surprised to learn very recently after I delivered the manuscript, so it's not in the book, but uh, mushrooms are actually a pretty good source of plant-based protein. Mm -hmm. I know, it's not It surprised me, just because it seems sort of flimsy. flavoring, yeah. but yeah. yes. Yeah. Now, one thing I love that that you do, I see in your Instagram stories, is that you put yourself through the paces and commit to not crazy commitments, but, but definitely hard commitments to 
oatmeal, for example? Do you, how many right. days of oatmeal do you do? Well, it's 28 days of oatmeal for the month of February. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. this month should be 29 days. And it's all about how to like have this kind of repetition, but how not to get incredibly bored with it, right? Uh-huh. Well, I, I like with oatmeal because everybody has probably oatmeal at home. I'm partial to the steel-cut oats. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things that I think a lot of people fall into a rut and you have like the way that you make your oatmeal and the way that you like it with it's like berries and yogurt or whatever. And I've really enjoyed the savory potential of oatmeal. I was, mm-hmm. I guess, probably later to that than other people, but taking it in a savory direction, thinking of it almost like risotto or any other grain that it doesn't have to be brown sugar and mm-hmm. maple syrup and, and nuts. So it gave me a little bit. I sometimes struggle with Instagram in terms of like having a sense of purpose. <laughs> and the 28 days of oatmeal, I was like, okay, I've got 28 days where I have to do something every day and I have to do something a little bit different. And so it gave me the structure that I needed to feel like I was getting something out of. <laughs> and people were really excited about it. It's, you know, it's like one of those things, I feel like oatmeal and I did a bean month as well, which is a lot. I don't know if I'll repeat that, but, um, <laughs> but one of the things I found is like, it doesn't necessarily, it's one of those, it, for me, it like helped to push forward this idea that you don't actually need a recipe. You need like, because I'm making these oatmeal mm-hmm. by opening up my fridge and looking at my leftovers or looking at whatever's lingering. And so you can write like, oh, these are my steel cut oats and I've got roasted mushrooms in there and a little bit of soy sauce and a fried egg. Mm-hmm. And I, you don't need to, I don't need to write out a whole recipe for you. You can kind of sit, see that and grasp the sort mm-hmm. of improvisational mm-hmm. nature of it. Mm-hmm. When you think about everyday cooking or just cooking, I think our food media is telling us that we need to be pursuing new things all the all time, the time yeah. and to master every cuisine that's available right. <laughs> to us, both in terms of eating and in terms of cooking. It's a lot, and, and it's the delicious part of our, our world right now, but it's also like, I think, causes some of the alienation from everyday ritual, too, because yeah. you're just pursuing the next new thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's how you see, I mean, especially with, like, the oatmeal and the bean challenge, I realize I'm working within a formula. I'm kind of, I wonder if, like, followers are, are catching on to it, but I'm working with a very <laughs> a formula that repeats itself. But the interchangeability within that formula is... Mm-hmm. It'll, you know, I don't feel like I'm eating the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. And you said you wrote this book with your brother's family in mind? Yeah, I did. And I was, I was saying earlier, it's just wanting to be helpful to them. And also, I just have, I love cooking with them. So often I'm cooking with my for my boyfriend, so it's just like two of us. But mm-hmm. when it's six people, it's like a much more boisterous <laughs> experience mm-hmm. in the kitchen, especially with the kids one. Can I do that? Can I do that? Can I do that? Can I do that? I'm like, stop. <laughs> but no, it's really fun. Any recipes that they've really responded to? In, in well, it's funny. My older niece, Zoe, if you go out to eat with her, she'll ask if the mac and cheese is craft on the menu. And if it's not craft, she doesn't want it. And so she's a very picky eater, and she knows what she wants and doesn't really want to deviate from that. But my younger niece, Allie, is like, she'll try anything. And so I have a mac and cheese recipe in there. It's like one that's, um, you use broccoli rice or cauliflower rice. So it's it's not a dairy-free, but it's a lot less dairy than Norman's a stovetop one. And Allie, who the adventurous eater, was all about it. Zoe was like, had like a little teeny bite of a shell noodle. I was like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I was a fairly picky eater growing up, and my brother was a picky eater mm-hmm. growing up. We both evolved to be mm-hmm. fairly adventurous mm-hmm. eaters, so there's hope. You have a dessert chapter, too. Do you end up making it? Midweek, or is it more of a weekend thing for you? I'm a big sweet. I have a big sweet tooth. I sort of make the case in the chapter for that that everyone should have dessert every day. Like when you, (laughs) 
I mean, even if you can't quite pull dinner together, and you're like eating dinner in front of your phone, and you just don't feel like you've pulled off dinner, dessert is like this redemption opportunity. It's like, <laughs> nope, I'm going to have dessert, and I'm doing this right now, and I'm going to bring my attention and my focus to it.、Uh-huh. So it's like I feel like there's a nice ritual of dessert. Yes. I guess I don't always have it after dinner, but I always have dessert at some point during the day. That's. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> What what are some of the the dessert recipes you have? So I put in there one of the desserts that I've been making for years. It's just like a fruit galette, and I know that a lot of you probably made them, but I have come to really think of that as this like perfect weeknight dessert because it's like you make the crust and throw it in the fridge, and then you pull the fruit together, and then the fruit then the crust has been chilled and kind of assemble it, and it's this gorgeous decadent thing that. There's really like not too much sugar in it.、Yeah. It's、um, there's not too much. It's it's not a, like overly indulgent dessert,、right. but it feels really decadent. So whenever I have friends over in the weeknight, that's a dessert that I make with whatever fruits out on the counter. And then I put a whole section of like fun ice cream toppings. So、uh-huh. if you've got a tub of ice cream, you're just a couple minutes away from candied granola crunch or like cinnamon toast crumbles or like a miso butterscotch sauce. Those just come together in a couple minutes, and、mm-hmm. it's a Elevates the store-bought ice cream. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, yeah, and then a way to use the little crumbs of what you have around the house. Too, yeah, totally.、Right? <laughs> that last end of bread, or yeah. I, one thing I like is that you, the, as you said, you, you sort of have the what to do when you get home from the market with these ingredients too. So tell me about your your way with greens because I, you know, that's a great. Great、yeah, tip, I think. That's、um, this I've been doing for a long time. So my fridge is really small, and I'm always buying a couple bunches of Swiss chard and kale or other leafy greens. And somehow making space in the fridge for these is just—it drives me insane. And so I do the cleaning, and then I cook them down, and then marinate them. So it's a recipe in here for this is like the base recipe for the hearty greens for marinated greens, where they're cooked down just as you would normally, and then you squeeze them dry, and then just marinate them with some olive oil and salt and pepper and lemon juice and lemon zest, and then it fits into this nice little container、mm-hmm. that you don't have to like clear away a whole shelf of your fridge for. And then I use those to make a really good carbonara recipe with the greens or the peanut butter and green sandwich, which has. Been a little bit controversial since、mm-hmm. the book came back. <laughs> Now, was、uh, that like something that you were already doing, or were you like, "I got my greens chapter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see how far I can take the greens chapter." I was really having the marinated greens as I was、yeah. working on the book, and then it's like making a sandwich with peanut butter. I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna put some greens on top." So it wasn't necessarily to like be controversial. <laughs> it just happened naturally. I was like, "This is actually really good," and it makes sense for you know yeah, like North African like a, stews, yeah, with, like, peanut、savory. sauce or something yeah, like totally. that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you add anything to the peanut butter, or is it just straight up peanut butter? Just salt it if、yeah. it's an unsalted one.、Mm-hmm. But and then I season it with some sriracha or hot sauce.、Mm-hmm. So it's the peanut butter, the marinated greens,、mm-hmm. and then as much sriracha as you want, and then you grill it in butter or olive oil, and then you sprinkle it with a little bit of like fleur de sel or, or、mm-hmm. uh, melted salt and, right before you eat it.、So、yeah, sounds really good. good. I haven't tried that one yet, but it's it does. I, I it can see I, it kind of make, it really does. I like a savory peanut. Yeah, element. So, and then okay, so you've got your sort of like your cruciferous cauliflower and broccoli,、yeah. and you have what do you do with them when you? Them? That one's very basic. It's just roasting, the,、mm-hmm. roasting them off and packing them away so that they're all cooked and ready to go. But I do the the only thing that I it's not even really much of a trick, but rather than breaking off the florets, I like a a straight edge. So、mm-hmm. I'm like I always kind of like. Break off a big floret and then chop it in half so there's a flat edge on the cauliflower. And then on the on the baking sheet when they cook, they get really nice and caramelized.、Mm-hmm. So then once you have that, there's a couple. It's like a, 
another sandwich, there are a number of sandwiches in this recipe, but one is for the roasted cauliflower and some chopped up Napa kimchi. And then you grill this with um, a piece of like provolone cheese or a nice like melty cheese. And it's really good. That's one of my favorite recipes in the book. Some like nice herby salads. So I'm always like with the leafy herbs, like parsley and cilantro and basil. I try to advocate thinking of those as more of a salad green than like a garnish. Mm -hmm. And so you're like throwing in handfuls of like whole parsley leaves and whole basil leaves. Mm -hmm. And so with the body of the cauliflower and like all these herbs, it's really a filling Mm -hmm. um, and colorful salad. One thing I noticed you wrote in the book that made me laugh was that you try to limit yourself to one bunch of herbs per week. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have found too that my ambitions for herbaceousness are greater than my ability to use them up quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Your idea of just like getting one and then you're like, this is parsley week or this is cilantro yes, week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel, you know, it's like the herbs are so much more interchangeable than, and, and it's also just like an opportunity to experiment. It's like, you might not know how much you like dill until you right. substitute dill for the right. parsley in a recipe. And right. Well, that's great. I just, uh, I love how versatile and uh, this is a real invitation to cook. I feel like there's like a little bit of restraint. Like you don't have to go out to the grocery store for that one last ingredient. These are, right. these are as you said, there are things you could get at Trader Joe's. Yes, I set the scope. I'm, even, I'm not a shill for Trader yeah. Joe's, but I set the scope that way because I know um, a lot of people do a lot of, you know, that when they have time to shop once or twice a week, they just kind of get it all done there. But you can certainly procure your things at the farmer's market or wherever you're buying. Well, do you think we should open it up to the audience and see? Yeah, or do we want to play bingo? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have these illustrations are so cute, um, done by a woman named Alira T. And we have a whole host of them for these like primary ingredients. And then there's like a bunch of other little spotlight things throughout the book. So Vincent had this idea to play bingo (laughs) for these events. And they've been really fun. So we're passing out bingo cards now. Okay, do you want to draw? Okay, or, okay. I'll, I'll draw. Is this sweet potatoes? Sweet potatoes. All right. Okay, sweet potatoes. Go. I want, you, you go. Okay. We... Sweet potatoes. Like, I actually have, like, a mixed emotions about sweet potatoes, and so I'm so excited to try some of your recipes. like to find a bit of edge in a sweet potato. Sweet potatoes are, like, so soft and, like, sweet, and I just, like, I always want that edge. So I saw that recipe, which I haven't yet tried, that's for, like, cold... Oh, the cold sweet potato sweet, salad. Cold yeah. sweet potato salad, and I thought, oh, with the, which has yogurt in it, right? Yeah. And then, a and then like, a oil. crackly, savory, seedy topping. Yes. That seemed like the kind of sweet potato dish I would like. So I, with the Zahav cookbook, was where I learned this, like, slow-roasting method, where he advocates, like, 200 degrees or 204 wow. for, like, four hours. And then blackening the skins under the broiler. And the texture is just, it's like pudding. Uh-huh. It's so good, and so and the sugars are so caramelized, and I've sort of like hacked that with like a higher temperature and a shorter amount of time. But I call them gently roasted sweet potatoes. <laughs> so you roast them at three hundred degrees for as long as it takes for them to get really tender. But the the flesh is just so like soft and really really sweet, and there's none of that like fibrous quality. Uh-huh. So that's that's my sweet potato. And then you and then if you're doing it with that the a little browning on the outside that's, that's yeah the yeah, skins yeah, get like yeah, exactly. nice and like leathery yeah that's all I want is a little contrast okay. in there but yeah that's that great how interesting <laughs> yeah. okay bingo players the next one is green onions or scallions I love scallions ever since well I've always liked them but I remember this article from like seven or eight years ago in the New York Times 
I think it's an excerpt from a book, but scallions are, she called them um, gems of nutrition hiding in plain sight. Mm -hmm. They're like one of the least tampered with of these like commercially grown vegetables. Oh, interesting. And so the dark green is like extremely dense with nutrients mm -hmm. and minerals. And so, but also you have to eat the dark green that's like more nutritious than the, the pale white part. Right, and the first restaurant I worked in, we could only use that like that very whitest white part. Uh -huh. And then I worked in another restaurant, and they're like, oh, no, you can use the greens. I was like, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> the middle part is still kind of tough, but I love to make a scallion oil with that and just kind of blanch, like if I have any left over from the bunch or even the tougher part, blanch it quickly in boiling water and then really puree the heck out of it with olive oil, and then you strain it. And then you get this green wow. oil that you can use to top your eggs, to top your fish, to top a salad, to top Does a soup. It tastes like bright and oniony, and that mm -hmm. wow. So that's a fun way to use really cool. extra scallion stuff. I've never heard of that. I really like them like seared and blistered or broiled uh -huh. or grilled, uh -huh. and then they turn into this like delicious mush. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Corn tortillas. All right. I feel like if you have tortillas, you immediately have dinner from your leftovers. You just put your leftovers in the tortilla, <laughs> and it's a taco. Mm -hmm. That's true. But and a great breakfast, too, I think. Oh, yeah, totally. Especially if you throw an egg in it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a knife. That's a knife. So I, one of the things, um, I've, I'm sure everyone's already been told this before, but a knife skills class, I feel like there's nothing that will improve your cooking weeknight, mm -hmm. weekend, otherwise more than learning how to properly use a chef's knife. Mm -hmm. So many people, I still, like, with work with just a paring knife, it's slow and it's unsafe. I, you mm -hmm. know, it's like a, trying to cut a butternut squash with a small knife. It seems Unless very you're dangerous. a really old French grandma and you can do everything holding that's holding true. up in the air, <laughs> then that's a pass. But everything else, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> major major improvement. Okay, mortar and pestle. I always had been under the impression up until the last like five or six years that you have to really like throw your whole body, but you can just kind of like tap. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be this like whole engagement mm -hmm. of your upper mm -hmm. body. Um, except for when you lift it off the except shelf. Except for when you lift it off the shelf. But <laughs> I, think, I think if people understand that you can just kind of like tap and then once things are broke, it's like a stirring motion. It really doesn't need to be arduous. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm stir them up a little. Okay, this one... <laughs> Is this dust? This is cocaine. No, I'm joking. This is, <laughs> this is salt. <laughs> okay, so what are these three little groupings here? So these are just different types of flaky salt. I, I mean, I, I'm not, certainly not the first person, but like the finishing salt with the salt uh, with texture, I really feel like a very basic meal can go from like nothing to like, oh, I just mm -hmm. made myself dinner with the sprinkle of the flaky mm -hmm. salt. So. Mm -hmm. What's your everyday cooking salt usually? I have, I really like the, uh, this uh, gray fleur de, sal, fleur de mm -hmm. sal salt, but I also have Meldon, so mm -hmm. sort of alternate between those two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All, right. All right. Okay. Oh, it's olive oil in a squeeze tube. We have a bingo. Congratulations. <laughs> and you keep your olive oil in the squeeze I really tube? do. I, I, I'm, this is something that all the chefs I know, at, who um, when they cook at home, they keep their oils in a mm -hmm. squeeze tube. And it's just is, first off, it keeps your oil out of the light so that it doesn't go rancid as quickly. And then it's just so pleasurable to, like, squeeze the <laughs> olive oil. And for a drizzle, I mean, I'm telling you, it really, like, is a great mm -hmm. kitchen experience. Every time I've had, like, I've tried to keep it in a glass bottle with a little metal spout. Yeah. Or even, like, the metal canisters. Mm -hmm. You have to, like, store it on top of a towel right. or something because right. it leaves a ring. It doesn't happen with a plastic squeeze bottle. Okay. <laughs> 
Does anyone have any questions? What's your everyday olive oil? I use the California um, olive, California olive. Mm -hmm. I know which one you like. It says like that. California is the biggest word yeah. on the bottle. But they, I recently learned that they source their olives from not just California, <laughs> which I, I think they do it in a very considered way. But um, it was yeah. a surprise to learn. Yes. You mentioned development of this with the uh, nieces and such. Uh -huh. And yeah, what's a good way to bring kids into it? Oh, gosh. I feel, I mean, my experience cooking with kids is quite limited to my nieces. But um, for my own sanity, I always try to, like, prep everything before. It's like, okay, now you can come into the kitchen, <laughs> which I know is a luxury when Uncle Lucas is in town. But um, they really enjoy just being involved in it, whether it's, like, dumping the flour or, like, I let my older niece like pour the vanilla into the teaspoon if we're making mm -hmm. cookies. Yeah, I don't have, I'm sorry, the, <laughs> but I also do cooking classes in schools occasionally with, there's like cooking clubs at some of the public schools in New York. I always go in thinking like, I'm going to be like the biggest loser in the room trying to teach people how to make mm -hmm. veggie burgers. But everybody gets so into it. And like a lot of people at the beginning of the class had never had a veggie burger and were skeptical about the idea, but the act of being involved in making it made them really excited to try it. Mm -hmm. And so there was, I think there's something to say about the process of like understanding how cooking works and having a mm -hmm. steak in the meal mm -hmm. that, um, like a, not a steak steak, but a steak <laughs> in the meal. Um, a veggie steak. <laughs> how that, um, that changes perceptions of the food and makes maybe a more adventurous palate. Uh, what are your favorite spices? My favorite spices, I'm a big fan of chili flakes. And I was just talking the other day with um, a friend that I'd always had sort of like the generic chili flakes or chili flakes and then I was in San Francisco at the ferry building the, the cowgirl creamery stand and they were selling this jar they were called warm pepper flakes or warm summer pepper flakes and you just opened this jar and it was just like this wave of like summer sunshine and <laughs> so incredible I, it was one of those like mental leaps that's like oh the pepper flakes at Trader Joe's are just pepper but like they're actually dried gorgeous chilies that it's a way of like preserving those beautiful. So anyway, now I dry my own chilies <laughs> and make my own chili flakes and pick up this um, brand whenever I'm in San Francisco. It's um, Alistar Organics is the company. I feel like that was a lesson for me learning that like adding pepper flakes is not necessarily about adding heat. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like a way of adding depth of flavor. Yeah. Um, and rounding out the flavors. So it's not just, yeah, it's not like heat spice, but yeah. a component of the, the whole round flavor. Yes. I'm curious about the marinated greens. By marinating them like ahead of time, just do you find that you're able to keep them? Oh yeah, it extends the it extends. You like front load the labor, and it extends the shelf life of them by, I mean, a week. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Sarah. For oh my goodness! Doing thank you this. for being here. God. It's been great to see you. Oh yeah, and thank you all so much for coming. Thank you to Lucas for visiting us in Seattle and to Sarah for leading the conversation. You can get 10% off a copy of Start Simple and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of Start Simple and many other featured books available, so be sure to get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. 
Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.